Desert Commander, the enemy has been sighted. Your challenge has been accepted. The future of the free world now awaits your brave and steady command. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. And I'm Sean. And that's it again, uh, although we did get word from Joe. He misses you all, and he hopes to be back next uh, episode. And he got you all little uh, magnets that have, like, beach sand in them. Uh, yeah, he traveled the entire world, actually, and stopped at every single country and got magnets, and we hope to, um, you know... Make those a subscriber bonus at some point. <laughs> we don't plan to do any. Of no, that. we don't plan to do much, but we do plan to have Joe back if he'll if he'll welcome us with open arms. Yeah, there's still that one thing to work out, but I think we could sign the contract by the end of the week. Great, uh, and you know we're talking about Desert Commander today, Sean. Turn-based strategy video game on the NES. Were you expecting it? Did you think they could pull it off? You know, I. I I was definitely expecting it to happen at some point. I wasn't expecting this to be it or like it to happen so soon. Uh even though, you know, 180 whatever games isn't really that soon. Um but no, I was very excited to to find to hear that this was a turn-based strategy game. And you're kind of a turn-based strategy guy. Like this is this is one of your preferred genres, am I wrong? Yeah, I'm I'm really into XCOM. Uh, I I kind of I kind of dug the Advance Wars games, even though I didn't play too much of them. And you know, like even though it's a different genre, I do very much prefer turn-based RPGs than I do real-time RPGs. So yeah, I'm I I dig this format. And what is it that excites you about turn-based RPGs? Because I think some people find them to just be. Um, a little too slow, maybe um, a little too similar to like chess, you know, where you have to like you're doing a lot more thinking than playing. Um, it, are those the things that excite you or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, it, th- there are definitely games where I I prefer that like, yes, this is about twitch reflexes and this is about how you perform in the moment. But it's almost a bit more of a calm and relaxing um challenge to to have a to have a turn-based strategy game where you do have that time to say like this is why each of these other turns will fail or will sort of work against me and this is the least bad solution i can think of i kind of like that uh that mental that mental sequence yeah, I'd argue I even like the more recent trend of turn-based strategy games that just flat out tell you what the most likely result to be is based on the units that you're comparing to another. So, like, you know, I know Fire Emblem does it, but even, you know, a lot of, um, you know, more strategic war games that come out today, they'll tell you, like, you know, you have a 94% chance of victory in this one particular battle between your tanks and their infantry, you know? And it's like, some people hate that because it takes the, uh, you know, the element of surprise out of the video game. But I would argue that in a strategy game... Uh, I want to be playing as like the most dominant force that I that I think I could be. You know, I want to know what the odds are against me and plan accordingly. 
Yeah, with like more modern games that aren't uh, that that aren't in this genre per se, like uh, uh, like Into the Breach, which I guess is pretty much this, um, or and also uh, Slay the Spire, that which is very much not in this genre, but takes a lot of like turn-based strategy cues. Um, like they've all sort of borrowed from that same feel of like what a turn-based game is and like yeah they give you pretty much perfect information and you have to work with that perfect information that that's like a whole theory of of strategy games of like is perfect information just giving you uh like a perfect way to win or is it another way to play and i guess like that that sort of doesn't make sense the way i phrased it but uh I like that uh, the more modern takes on on these turn-based games as well. And a lot of turn-based strategy games just come down to, like, the setting, too, if, if nothing else. Like, that is what makes a lot of these games uh, different other than maybe, like, you know, one core mechanic that, like, they add on to addition uh, of all the usual turn-based strategy tropes. And I guess what I'm getting at here is, like, you know, this is just, you know, war. This is war in the desert, essentially. You know, there's no, like fun uh video game centric units here um it's all going for uh what i would imagine at the time to be very realistic obviously you know no more does this have a realistic effect on it but you know that's what they've chosen here and you could also do it in space or you could do it uh you know in like a game of thrones fantasy timeline like you can do it through all different kinds of settings what did you think about the uh you know world war ii desert aesthetic here well, one, I, I did know that this game in the other local, localizations had a bit more personality in that, like, you were the the allied forces fighting against Axis forces, whereas in this American version, you are just two teams of soldiers fighting in the desert. Um, and while... Like, when you have that context, the desert makes sense, and uh, there's, like, some interesting flavor going on. Now that you've removed the actual historical context, now this whole desert environment is kind of bland. And uh, I think that if they'd have just... I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but I would have preferred more map variety, because there are different maps. They're just very similar <laughs> yeah, you almost can't tell that yeah. there's different maps throughout the game and maybe that's just a problem with their, you know, with their setting here of um I think, you know, as you were saying it, because of in the Japanese version it was taking place in North Africa, I think. Um there's just there's just something about World War 2 though that is kind of just like timeless to these war strategy games in a lot of ways. People who never played a turn-based strategy game before, you know, before 1989, where this might have been their introduction, um, I feel like they would have gotten it out of risk. You know, they could see the uh, the parallels there between the board game Risk and uh, and this game. Yeah, I, I guess so. I didn't play too much Risk. Um, I, I, I've played a few games and was not great at it. It's a little bit more abstracted. Um, these This game is a very abstracted war game, um, but... Risk even more so, uh, but you're right. It is. It has enough similarities that it could be seen as like an entry uh, to at least 
give your brain some context as to how to approach this thing. Right. And and of course, you know, the main gameplay objective here is not total domination over your enemy. You have to take over their enemy headquarters. Um destroying all the opposing forces is is fine and uh Yeah, you, you will know, win. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you will win that way, but you would ultimately still have to take out their king or the enemy headquarters, if you will. A king of course referring to the chessboard. Yeah, there you are with there. the chess. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, it's, <laughs> we'll see. And uh you know, I think what's interesting there is there's uh you know there's a way to do that right to say like you know the objective here is destroy enemy headquarters if enemy headquarters was like a thing on the map i could understand that being the objective but this is like enemy headquarters is just another unit on the map that is not necessarily all that more stronger than any of the other particular units like yeah it can move uh, a little better and it can fight off um all different types of enemies but at the end of the day, it is just subject to the same things that all units in the game are subject to. And therefore, it makes the uh, objective a little easier to exploit. Would you agree with that, Sean? Well, yeah. Okay, so like if we were playing a multiplayer version of this game, like me versus you, um, I think we it, it would make a lot more sense. Like the fact that the, um, the fact that the computer in this game, the AI is a little rudimentary... Uh, it it is easy to exploit. Like you, uh, you just have to bait some units away from the uh, the king unit, or like you know, like the captain or the base, whatever you want to call it, um, just so that you have enough time to surround it with I don't know a couple bombers and maybe some infantry if you can get them there with the with the truck. Um, and it doesn't matter how many units they have left; you basically just surrounded their general and you win. But I think when you think of it like that and you think of the game mechanics more and how they would perform in a uh, two-player setting, uh, it does make sense. Like Because if you want to think about it in like the sense of what this is trying to simulate of um, the base basically being like just your, your command ops, like whoever is in the field giving command and, and structure to your uh, to your forces, like they would be kind of mobile and maybe they aren't all that strong and you wouldn't ask that, um, that group to take out a battalion of tanks, but you would want it to be uh, somewhat mobile and you would want to protect it. So I think if me and you played, we would be much more conservative in how we played with the base um, and would make it harder for each of us to actually win this game. And it, it seems like in a lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, one-player scenarios, uh, the only way that they can make it harder for you to win the game is just by piling on more and more units to fight against. Yeah, that's a good point, Sean, because there are five different scenarios uh, that they provide to you, and they just change basically from being uh, beginner, easy, um, hard, all-star, if you will. You know, like, they just continue to move up a little bit. But you're right. They're not 
really challenging. It's not like the computer is getting more processing power and therefore making smarter plays. The difference between the scenarios is, you know, your placements on the map. Uh, sometimes they'll try to spread your units out across, like, you know, instead of having all your units together, you'll have some on the east side and yeah. some on the south side. Um, but otherwise, it's all just has to do with the number of units your computer opponent has. That's how they make it harder by just giving him more units than you. And I think that's also telling to the fact that they probably saw the game as something that was easy to exploit, uh, you know, through playtesting and and decided that that would be the way to handle it. The funny thing is, I, I'm sure you didn't try this, but you can actually, uh, similar to how a two-player game is played in this game, you can just plug in a controller into player two and on that screen with the computer, you can remove units oh, from the computer side. <laughs> I did learn and that. Make it, and make it a fair fight. <laughs> that That is, it's very silly. Um, I would never want to do that. Um, I think turn-based strategy games are the only the only genre that I will, like, be serious about an Iron Man mode where, like, oh, I can't just save scum. Uh, so that would be a cardinal sin <laughs> for me to do that and fuck with uh, their... Um, their units but no i did learn that you could do that it's it's kind of silly i like what you talked about save scumming there for a second because that's an it's a very obvious point too though but like i guess you know nothing's stopping anybody from doing that but this might be the one uh like you know or not the only genre but it might be uh, the most important genre that you can't do something like that because ultimately you're better off just watching somebody else play the game you're seeing the result of the battle take place saying you don't like it and rewinding or um or save stating and trying it again is you know is literally defeating the purpose of playing through the map so i agree with you there and that's why i also agree with like not changing the units that the computer has because clearly uh, you know uh, chemco who developed the game said like the computer kind of needs yeah. extra units to make the game harder for you. Like, if you want Scenario 5 to be our most challenging scenario, we need to give the computer more units. Yeah, and I think maybe, like, in terms of replayability, I do like that they that they added this feature uh, so that maybe not removing units, but you can switch up how the computer, like, what their team makeup is like. Like, oh, let's see if we give them more bombers instead of uh, more anti-aircraft, and let's see if... I have less like uh, if I, if I change that in a similar way, and, and so you can have a bunch of different extra scenarios that you've crafted yourself. But yeah, I don't think that um, they really wanted us to mess with it to make it easier. That just kind of defeats the point. <laughs> and the good news is you can change your loadouts. Yes, um, and that's probably as a consequence why you can change the computer loadouts with the player two controller. They probably just. Uh, program the same setup as the two-player game. But it's very important that you can change your loadout because I think that would make that these scenarios really suck and not make them uh, good for replayability if you were always forced to be like, well, in this scenario, you know, you, uh, you know, you're all tanks or something like that. It's like, that's up for the player to decide. But the fact that you get to change your loadout before the scenario... Um, I, I found it to be incredibly helpful. I also found it to, as a way to figure out, like, you know, which ways are the easiest to exploit the computer. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's at the core of strategy. Like, you're trying to optimize. And I think if if they were to 
uh, handicap you there and say like, no, this is just this is your makeup. Like this is going to be how many planes you have and how many tanks you have. Uh, you're starting to air into the side of like a puzzle game because uh, I think one very specific feature of strategy games is the ability to uh, also alter the starting conditions um, within reason um, and and provide a way to change your team makeup and all those fun pre-game situations. Uh, so I, I appreciate that they added that. Um, and I, I'm sure that strategy outside of the NES is pretty well developed by now. I don't know too much about 80s strategy video games, but um, I'm just glad that they included that. And that isn't like a newer feature that was just found in the 90s or 2000s. Right, right. And and to be fair uh, to your point there, computer uh, turn-based strategy games are not only a thing, but they're a lot more developed than Desert Commander was at the time. Uh, Desert Commander was favorably reviewed for the NES, but was just seen as like an introductory yeah. game to turn Good for strategy. the NES. Right, right. Um, or maybe just good for console yeah. gaming in general. You know, you have to remember, home computers, very expensive in 1989. <laughs> uh, you know, just because like there was a lot of home computer video games, those were mostly just being made by passionate people. Uh, I don't think, like, you know, Nintendo ever thought that the family computer, the Famicom, was eventually going to become a home computer. I think they always saw it as a video game console first, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I was talking about changing the loadouts, uh, and I guess what I really want to talk about here is just units and balance. We don't have to give an overview of the uh, of all the different unit types that you can have and, uh, you know, who beats what. It is it is kind of a rock, paper, scissors thing where yep. some units are strong to others and weaker to others. And that's important. Uh, every game kind of needs that as the as the basics. Otherwise, one unit would just be the de facto. But I did find the bombers in this game, especially because of the overall objective of taking out the headquarters, I did find the bombers to just be something that I always wanted to stock up more than anything. Uh, Sean, curious if you found something similar or if you thought um, there was a particular unit that was just useless, you know, talk away. Uh, yeah, I, I, bombers are definitely very useful. I kind of, um, I, I I would sort of take away some of my fighters um, and just replace those with bombers. Uh, I didn't get too crazy with customization, um, but I, I did figure that, I'll just overpower um, on the offensive side and try and, like, I don't really need to shoot down their bombers if they're not going to use them very well because computer. <laughs> if I was playing against you, I might double think that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't play too too much with the, uh, with the loadout just because I think that while there is that rock, paper, scissors plus mentality here, uh, it's still possible as a um as a unit at a disadvantage to do some damage like it's it's like they it's balanced a little too much in that um even when you're supposed to be at a disadvantage you can still uh you you can still like use a fighter against a ground troop and you might take a few out like uh, i thought that i figured like if if they're going to do that it's kind of taking away from the, uh, the the uniqueness and the utility of each kind of of unit. Um, obviously, there are more utility units. Like the anti air uh, is going to be much better against 
aircraft and it's going to be against like a, a ground artillery. But I think they, they should have made their specializations even stronger uh, than they were in this game. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a good point. There's, you know, there's terrain advantages. There's advantages of air versus land. There's advantages to, like, where you can go on the map, right? I mean, you, you know, in the earliest stage, it's very easy to just kind of park your um, aircrafts over the ocean where nobody can really touch them and then just swoop in for the attack. Um, there's a lot There's a lot of things like that, but there's no, there's no like, special bonus for like or a particular thing for each unit that like they can pull as like a a finishing move if you will or like a a special extra bonus. I think there's something on the menu for each unit that said power and I thought like oh wow that's really cool. Like each one has its own power up or special ability. Uh and then when you click on that I think it just tells you literally like how much yeah. ammo you have left, like how many units and stuff. You're thinking of it like was, Final Fantasy or something. Right, right. And I just thought that was like, oh, man, that there was a chance there for like, yeah. you know, the, like once per, uh, you know, per scenario, the tank can just like fire a really amazing shot that's like guaranteed to take out minimum three units, you know, like uh, just things like that would have been interesting to see added here because otherwise I think what you wind up with is playing a scenario once – Seeing the computer's hand and being like, well, you know, he doesn't really have any uh, aircrafts at all for yeah. this one. So if I make a team of 12 bombers and, you know, like a tank uh, to take out the anti-aircrafts, like I'm pretty much going to win this thing. Uh, and I think you see that a lot in this game. I don't know if that, you know, again, we're talking about this, you know, strategy games being all about optimization. I don't know at what point it becomes optimization versus, uh, you know, cheesing against the computer there. Yeah, it's a fine line. It has a strong... uh, the, the, The map in general has a strong favor to those who wait. Uh, and th- and I'm sure that's not just for the computer game either. I would imagine that, it, you know, even on a human-to-human scale, if me and you played, we would both play a very tight defensive game uh, waiting almost for the attack. I feel like because of the size of these maps and because of how enemy movements work and stuff like that, you're kind of encouraged to be defensive. Yeah, and that's why like uh, some of the modern uh like XCOM uh XCOM 2 for example, like they added turn timers uh to many fans dismay uh just because th- there was too much turtling. And it does make it a more interesting game when you have uh when you have to get something done in a time/turn limit uh because you actually have to come out of that shell. And I think maybe that could have helped here. I mean, it's kind of hard to contextualize if you're trying to make it a um, trying to make it realistic. Like there was no time limit, but like maybe a like a supply limit that always sort of ticked down, uh, like we've seen in uh, some other games that we always kind of complained about. But it may, maybe it makes more sense in a strategy game, um, just to put some pressure on you to actually do something. Uh, and you were also talking about the maps affecting this as well 
because yeah, like while the road network looks a little different and uh, your spawn points change a little bit uh, and spawn locations within your uh, your forces will get split and things like that. But I think like if there was if they thought of it more as like an arena shooter where uh, a different map means almost a completely different like philosophy of map making. Like they'll if they added like a level, for example, that was like uh, a, a bridge or like a couple bridges and had some choke points that weren't just like, uh, oh, here's some mountains. You can drive over them, but it'll just take longer. Um, I think that could have helped this game's case of creating a bit more map variety and therefore gameplay variety. Yeah, I don't know if it's because, you know, and I'm sure you had a similar experience. I don't know if it's because we played turn-based strategy games before but i feel like the you know for a beginner's game the obvious mistake here to make is like going into the very first scenario and just spreading out your unit to cross the map to be like all right i'm covered everywhere you know like when you're covered everywhere you're covered nowhere because it just takes one unit to take down yours and now you have a whole uh you know expose to you i i don't know how they could have solved that in this game um given how how basic it is especially you know just with the the one objective like it's never just like you know don't have this many casualties or also take out all the tanks or something like that like because it is just a one objective game i'm not sure what they could have done there i really like your suggestion not even just for bridges but just like it's a shame that there's you know there's rocks there's water there's uh roads and they don't really have like they're really just on the map for color more than anything else. Like, yes, only the planes can go over the water, but for, I don't know if you like noticed anything different, but the water's only on the outsides anyway. So it's not like there's this big you know, moat that uh, we have to cross over that only your planes will have access to. It's, it's basically just hidden in the background and, you know, use it if you want to. The computer won't really take advantage of it. Or it's, you know, wow, the rocks would be like the mountains. Like, no tanks can go over those. But it's like, no, they can. They just don't move as fast. It's like, no, they just shouldn't be able to go over those, right? Yeah, I I, I agree. Like, that adds to, like, the specialization uh, that I was talking about. Um, If there are some units that literally can't go over a terrain, I I guess they already did water, but that's that's the most basic, I guess. Yeah. but that extends more – it also extends over to, um, like, the special uh, the special terrain areas that um, they have here. Like, there's some walls that I that add, like, a defensive bonus, I, I believe. I think they're supposed to be, like, bunkers for you. Yeah, right? like, it's a defensive bonus, but they're just so scattered and, um, like, only one unit can take advantage of it at once – it, it sort of reminded me of the little fortresses in um, in Fire Emblem that it was kind of silly to me that they were just in random spots. Uh, they didn't really, like, add to choke points or anything. It was sort of the same thing. Um, and then you have the airfields and supply depots, but they don't really add to the landscape so much as, like, oh, here is one place that uh, whether I have one or the other, like it's not really adding to the landscape. It's just I, I, I'm trying. I'm having trouble, like actually, uh, 
<laughs> saying this, articulating myself. No, I think here. I know what you. Yeah, I think I know what you mean because um, ultimately these things, right, aren't put strategically in a way that they matter any more than at the beginning of the game, right? Like you're always near an oasis and a bunker and um, you know, and the roads to get around. But like the roads are really like, yes, they're great for movement. But they're really out of the way. Uh, there's no, like, great roads out there. So you would really spread your units out by using the roads. And then the Oasis, it's like, you know, if if you're coming to them or, or you're going to meet them in the middle or something like that or they're coming to you, maybe, I guess, is, like, the only situation where the Oasis matters. But, like, these things aren't really strategically placed in a way other than the airports, which I think are important. to. Ha- uh, they're not airports. They're like runways or whatever. Yeah, the airfields. Those are, those are important, you know, because that's how you uh, refuel your planes. And the um, the towns are important to recollect supplies. So I think like, you know, there, there's a mix there, right? It's like I didn't really see the benefits of the Oasis or the bunkers that much. I'm sure they would have played a role if maybe the maps were smaller and there was less like real estate and you want to make sure. Yeah, if they contributed. those. Yeah, if they contributed to like area denial, like if if you being in this one spot and holding your position here made it so that the opposite side would have a harder time even operating in that area because it gave you a boost to like attack range or something along those lines. I think that's what I was that's what I'm sort of getting at. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if um if it changes for terrains or not, but in general, the game seems to favor the attacker in the sense of for the particular battle. Uh, I don't know if you if you caught this in your gameplay, Sean, but for the most part, if you're the initiator of the attack, you know there's a good chance you might lose like a, a couple units or whatever, especially if you're going up against a stronger foe. But for the most part, you're going to be the one doing the damage. Yeah, you know, again, you know, against the and maybe that's because now you have like the element of surprise or whatever. But I think I would have liked to have actually seen it as a more, um, you know, a more tactical battle where it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the attacker or the defender. It's it's purely unit versus unit. Uh, I, I think strength. so. Well, what I do think about that is I think it does kind of make sense that the initiator would have an edge. And that's simply because uh your damage in this in this simple way, your damage is literally just like you get, um, and you get a number of attacks or potential hits uh, based on how many units are left in that squadron, or however however much health you have left on that unit. You you can look at it both ways. So if if you have ten, it's if it's a full platoon, you have ten, you will do. 10 attacks and they may hit or miss but you you do those attacks and whatever um uh the enemy on the other hand they only get to do as many attacks as they have units left so uh, since you are attacking first you are already making their offense uh less capable by killing those units and making them do less attacks at a time so uh, there definitely is uh, an advantage to the to the initiator, but I do think it kind of works out. It's just it's just very simple, and that's really the only uh, that's the only thing adding to, like any modifier minus the rock paper scissors. How useful that unit would be if you if you get what I'm saying. Uh, the last thing I really want to talk about in terms of the units here 
is that you know each of them has a ammo capacity and a uh, fuel capacity and in a longer game this will matter you will uh run out of ammo or run out of fuel if you don't uh, you know if you basically just try to be as offensive as possible and keep taking out unit after unit after unit i feel like that's very necessary uh, not only from like a simulation uh war style game where like obviously you wouldn't just have infinite ammo and infinite fuel but also just from like a uh you know if we're if we're not talking about the computer if we're just talking about human to human like game balance yeah right like game balance like that is an interesting thing that you could be like on the cusp of victory but all of your you know all of your nearby units don't have any ammo and suddenly have to retreat and now you know the the headquarters has like time to go back and get supplies and you know reinforce themselves like i feel like it didn't happen so much for me with the computer but it would come into play a lot more in a uh, in a head to head game yeah like if if we were playing and you were kind of lax with your placement of your supply trucks i could just go after them and just try and try and wait you out and see you run out of ammo and and maybe try and guard uh guard the places on the map that you can get supplies um like that's definitely a valid strategy um and i i do like that there is that purely unit to unit strategy i guess i would have just liked a bit more uh a bit more of it tied into the map which is what we've been talking about. Yep, yep. One last thing on the map, too, now that I'm remembering it. You know, infantry units, the ground foot soldiers, uh, There's, they're almost useless without the... Um, what, what are they? The they transport, trucks. yeah. Yeah, the transports. They're almost useless without those, but then you have to almost think of the opportunity cost there of, you know, it takes two units now. You have to have the truck and the... Uh, and the soldiers, when you could just be applying those to, like, anti-aircrafts or bombers or something like that. I really found myself, uh, you know, as I continue to play this game more, uh, just ditching a lot of the field units outside of the armored cars and the armored, and the, and the tanks. Uh, did you see, did you know something similar? Were you finding a good use for uh, your infantry? Well, like I said, like, I was, I, I was a bit more conservative in how much I changed their loadout uh, just because I wanted to play it as I expected them to want me to. Uh, so I did I did realize that, yeah, this, this transport is taking away a slot that could be used for a much more uh, uh, pack-a-punch unit. Uh, but I did think that if you're trying to be a sneaky boy and... Like you, your strategy is to just sort of wait for their units to kind of leave an opening for you to go and attack their uh, their base. Uh, having that transport that can move a pretty good distance, whereas your infantry really can't, and your infantry being very good against the base, uh, I did see that um, that sort of cost benefit analysis working in favor of keeping a transport just so you could do that little sleight of hand and uh, get behind enemy lines and take care of it there. You're really making me want to start looking for, like, the eSports Desert Commander <laughs> series, you know? Like, uh, 
I what was it? I just sent you the other day. I, we found out that Microsoft Excel has a best of sixteen esports competition yeah, happening that's like, as so we're silly. recording or whatever, right? But like, I don't know. It, isn't this like the whole like hook of speed running and stuff like that? Like niche games being, you know, seeing them be done in a way that you never imagined them to be done. Like, I would really like to see what a uh you know like with an elo rating system how like people would play desert commander i don't think there would ever be a scene big enough for it <sighs> but it's a shame that when you go look at like youtube playthroughs or strategy guides or whatever most of them are just suggesting the fastest victory rather than what you were going for uh the practical victory with the units that they give you so since i did the same thing i, I wanted to win I'm curious, Sean. What were your thoughts on the scenarios with the default loadouts? Did you did you think that that was maybe a little unbalanced that they were that they weren't giving you the units you needed or the um or the you know the amount of units you needed or did you feel like you know still it's just a matter of being defensive and waiting for your opportunity to strike? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was I was playing it. Uh, it it kind of was false to say that I was playing it the way I, they wanted me to play it because I was still just like kiting enemies because I had unlimited time. Uh, I can, I can sort of turtle and just let, okay, this, uh, this one artillery is kind of left alone. Uh, if I get to him, uh, his, his buddies won't be able to really, uh, split my, split my guys up too much. So I'll take them out one at a time until I see that opening, um, of the base so, I mean, yeah, I was also kind of cheesing it. Uh, I guess it wasn't just also using the the, the min-maxed loadout. Uh, I keep using loadout when I should just be saying, like, uh, the the array of units that you have. But, uh, right. yeah, I guess I'd say that it was still, it was challenging because I wasn't just like, oh, full bombers, uh, Fox only. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was still... It was still a challenge, yeah. Now, I don't know much about Africa, but I think, you know, that there are probably a plentiful amount of rivers uh, in Africa, and that uh, that's why, you know, I'm a little shocked that we only got, like, large bodies of waters around the edge of the maps, because, I don't know, like, I would have liked to have seen some naval units, too. I, <laughs> you know, this is World War This is World War Two. It's not like we're shooting... Uh, you know, missiles and, you know, have advanced combats like that. There was still very much, uh, you know, naval combat happening during World War II. And I think that could have added an extra thing uh, for the, you know, especially for the planes uh, to take care of. You know, I think like, you know, the Air Force versus the Navy versus the Army would have been an interesting thing to see as like a three-way yeah. uh, unit face-off. Another level of that rock, paper, scissors. I, I mean, I agree only so far that like, whether or not there were a bunch of rivers in Africa, I mean, there's at least one. <laughs> which, is, which is debatable. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It's debatable. How many rivers? Yeah. Are you? you can't count them. Uh, just for, like, a, a gameplay reason. Like, have there be some rivers that create natural choke points to add some some strategy to the map? Like, we're talking about, we're, we're ta- talking about a lot about uh, team makeup and how they interact with each other and how uh, your own team makeup internally creates a challenge or makes it easier and uh, the balance between yours and theirs. Like it's all about the units and my, like the thing that I keep 
bringing up and we keep both bringing up is I would just like to see more in terms of the map and adding rivers, whether it's realistic or not, would add a bit more complexity and a, li- a little bit more to think about on each turn uh, if there was just a, a better variety of of landscape. So this game was brought to us by Kemco, uh, who, believe it or not, Sean, we have played Kemco NES games before. I know we, we don't hear their name often. Uh, they make some interesting games, this being one of them, no doubt. Uh, they also brought us Spy vs. Spy. Oh, wow. Yeah, an essential game, uh, depending on who you ask. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, that, that. but, like, again, that was a very creative new use for the NES, uh, especially in a two-player thing. And I feel like this has some similar things where like you know this is a first time turn-based rpg uh turn-based strategy game not rpg uh that we're seeing here and uh i for, i feel like you know definitely the two-player is much better than the computer mode here so you know it seems to have a constant theme with the games that chemco releases until you all of a sudden find out that they also made that superman game that was really strange remember that oh. superman game <laughs> wait is yes <clears throat> With the chibi Superman? Yeah, that was the, the that was the biggest like out of left field I think we've played so far. Um, especially from what they've had because Spy vs Spy you could say is out of left field, but like I can see a a better through line from Spy vs Spy to Desert Commander than I can see with Sp- uh, Spider Man Superman thrown in there too. That's weird. And, you know, Spy vs. Spy and Superman are both franchises, so it's interesting that they chose to uh, not grab, like, you know, Axis and Allies, the board game. Um, well, they didn't choose to just, like, port that. Well, World War II was, like, a franchise, right? Like, there's the well, yeah, World in War a way, II verse. I mean, the History, History Channel basically makes all their money off of it, right? <laughs> so, and now Ancient Aliens, but, uh, yeah, I think World War II is a franchise, sure. <laughs> People keep saying, when's World War Three? Like, they can't get enough of this. <laughs> Everybody wants the sequel. <laughs> Uh, also though, Kemco is not gone. They make a lot more NES games, actually. But I wanted to focus on for a minute, uh, because there's no sequels and spinoffs to this game, just another Kemco game that we should have on our radar, and that is North and South. Another turn-based strategy game from Kemco on the NES that is about the Civil War. Oh, alright, I'm I can't wait. interested, yeah. Now, Sean, any last objections, though, to, and you don't have to actually have objections, but just wondering, like, you know, what's the temperature like in 2021? Uh, you know, in the original Japanese version, you were the, you know, the allies fighting the Axis, but in a two-player game, somebody has to say, I'm going to be the Axis. Uh, <laughs> is that, you know, like, is that a, is that, should they, maybe it's better that they just stripped the Axis and Allies things so nobody had to play as those no, bad guys? No, I mean, if you played Command & Conquer, you know that it was just as fun, or maybe in some cases more fun, to play as the Soviet Union. Like, it, it's a game. You get to you get to do weird stuff. Like, I play, uh, I play Hearts of Iron, and some of the most fun uh, gameplay in that is to play as Nazi Germany and see what you can do differently there. Uh, it's a game. Yes, it's a game. I'm glad you said it, too. Uh, one last thing that you had me thinking about, though, now that you're talking about this, if it was Axis and Allies, right, or, you know, even this green versus blue, whatever you want to, you know, like, that's what it is. 
there should have been like one thing, right? That like made the, the, the teams different. Yeah. Like just one defining factor. Like maybe it has to do with how the headquarters operates. Like it was supposed to be General Patton versus General Rommel. So like maybe they have like a unique trait or something. I guess it depends on what kind of flavor. I, I, I prefer some asymmetry. Uh, but I guess if you want to make it equal, uh, one, if you don't have to worry about that balance of like, oh, is this special technique? somehow more useful than the one we gave to the other team. You don't want to worry about that. Then I guess you can just make it like chess. Um, but I do prefer asymmetry and playing with different specialties. Uh, so I agree. All right. I think we've talked a lot about the maps in desert commander. I hope you guys feel like we also talked a lot about the game itself. We have one last thing to do when it comes to talking about NES games at the end of every episode. And that is we decide whether it's on the essential games list. Sean, challenge for you, if you should accept. On your Essential Games list vote, you can vote yes, you can vote no, but you cannot talk about the maps in your Essential Games list uh, vote. I'll see what I can do. Um, you, you know, I this is a genre I very much like, and it is the first of its genre on uh, on this journey that we're on. Um, and I did enjoy myself while I played it, uh, but I think I can't I can't put this on the essential games list just because of how rudimentary it is. And there, and yes, there is a lot of strategy just by virtue of the kind of game that it is. Uh, but I think that I think there's more that can be squeezed out of this. And I think maybe I'm gonna be more excited for this North vs. South and see if they can if they can do some more stuff. Uh, so I'm holding out hope for that, but for Desert Commander, it is not essential. Well said. Um, I will add that this is an example of a fun game, a game that I would consider to play it, a game that is, if you are, you know, if you have another person in your life who likes to play NES games, consider picking this one up just for the two-player. It is very, um... Entry level in both its strategy and in its introduction to uh, turn-based strategy games. And that's why I just don't think it can go on the essential games list. Uh, I-, I had a lot of fun playing it. I think I'm going to go back to it, if you want me to be honest. I'll check it out every now and again. Um, but it doesn't go on the essential games list because they just, you know, knowing what we have and knowing where, you know, where turn-based strategy games are today, this one just doesn't quite feel like one that everybody needs to go back and check out. I think... Uh, a lot of the games we talked about in in today's episode, especially a lot of the ones Sean mentioned, you know, that's a good use of your time. Um, they're not just better because they're more recent or they're longer gameplay experiences. They're better because they've thought through the strategy element. Uh, you know, the computer here really hasn't even thought through a lot of its own strategy. If you look at the computer sometimes... I swear I've seen the computer sometimes just select the fighter plane and just go around in like a circle... To nowhere and just waste its own fuel. And I'm like, well, that's going to cost you. You know, if you're just going to play like that, that's kind of ridiculous. So I think we talked about a lot of great things in this episode. I think we talked about a lot of the downfalls of this. And I think it's pretty obvious why it's not going to go on the essential games list. Boom. Sean, we have another war game next week Guerrilla War. Um, Guerrilla War, otherwise known as Guerrilla Warfare, um, you know. 
is something that I thought the Americans invented. Was that taught to you in school? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely in uh, sixth grade social studies. Yeah. We invented guerrilla warfare. <laughs> right, we invented guerrilla warfare, and it was, like, the only way we could defeat the British. Like, we just didn't play fair. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, I just remember thinking that was crazy. I'm like, these guys, the British, are, like, you know, they're lining up, like, 60 men just in a line. And then we're just coming at them from, like, all angles, like, barbarians. Why didn't we think never... to hide in the trees? Right. <laughs> right, right. Like, like they didn't think that either, like, that they could just spread out, like, they have to be in a line. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, you know, for the longest time that that was just true because you learned it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's Guerrilla War in a nutshell. But if you want to find out about the NES game Guerrilla War... Uh, definitely join us next Friday. Every episode publishes at 8 a.m. on Fridays. If you're not getting them at 8 a.m., either I forgot to post it and I'm posting it late, or you're not using the right podcast player. So think or about you're that. in a different time zone. Me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. How many of our West Coast boys are getting these things at 5 in the morning being like, oh, shut up, turn off the notifications? If you've unsubscribed to Nostalgicast because you got a notification at 5 a.m., you're not committed to the chronological exploration. You're not, and you need to, and we don't need you. Uh, yeah, we don't need you, but also you probably don't need us. Um, I don't think anybody ways. needs us. <laughs> yeah, this is just a mutual like hatred for one another. If you've unsubscribed from us, you unsubscribe because you don't like us, and uh, we've unsubscribed from you. Actually, we went in to your podcast profile and blocked you. <laughs> now, of course, everybody who's listening to the show has no idea about that because they're listening. We're listening to them on Twitter at NostalgiaCast. They're posting. We're liking. A lot of times we're commenting. And, Sean, you recently joined Twitter and still have not made your, like, public introduction to the Nostalgia Boys. <laughs> uh, the, the time will come. I can't wait. Uh, maybe maybe the 200th episode. Maybe. It's coming up, folks, faster than you realize. I think this is episode 186. So get ready for episode 200. Which also happens to be uh, kind of an important game. So I think we have a big important game every five on the fives. Do you know what I mean? 190, 195, and 200 are Ooh. all important games. That's kind of cool. It's going to be a fun few months. Yeah. And also listen to 187, 188, 189, 190, 191. All the in-betweens. You know, yeah. All the in-betweens, too, even if they're not exciting. You probably never heard of Desert Commander, but now you have, and maybe you played it. Maybe. Or maybe you didn't because we said go play Into the Breach instead. <laughs> I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me at Esposito Film on Twitter. Sean and I will talk to you very soon. And Joe. And Joe. We, yep, Joe, we welcome you back. <laughs> <laughs>